Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're talking about the Kingdom of God, and we've been going through Exodus, which is really a good place to go. A lot of people have asked me because of the books that I've written, uh, The Covenants of the Gods and Thy Kingdom Comes, uh, which give us a different view of the Testaments than we would commonly get in the modern churches, but uh, or modern synagogues, or even... Even uh, in uh, Muslim mosques, uh, they all have a certain theme that is running through most of these religions. And I think that they are missing something of the original authors or prophets like Abraham and Moses, uh, as well as, you know, Samuel. All of them were telling us certain things that people in modern churches, modern religions seem to be almost oblivious to and uh, they can't seem to see it at all uh, as if their eyes have been darkened and they are unaware of what is actually right in the text and of course we go much deeper into the text than most people do and as I've been going through Moses again and and Exodus and uh, you know the, all the writings of Moses as well as what we're specifically looking at which is Exodus Moses was an amazing genius of an individual. And, of course, he was an inspired author. And in order to receive that inspiration, I mean, he was born this genius. But in order to receive the inspiration of God, he had to literally approach the Holy Spirit, draw near the Holy Spirit. And in the Hebrew language, they have words for drawing near. And that word that we see draw near is also becomes with the addition of additional letters becomes the word Corbin, which Jesus mentions. And Corbin, of course, is the Hebrew word that means sacrifice. Generally speaking, means sacrifice. Again, most of the words that we see, the root words that we see, mesbich um, for altar, uh, they can add a letter and add a meaning to those words. And so Corbin has some letters added to it from the original word that means to draw near. And it becomes this word Corbin, which we can call sacrifice. In the Bible, uh, in the New Testament, we see the, the word Corbin mentioned twice. Once it's translated as treasury, and the other time it just appears as Corbin. And it's one of those very common words that you find all over in the Old Testament. And you find it twice in the New Testament, uh, or forms of it, originally a New Testament written in the Greek. But in the Greek you see the word Corbin. And in one place they just, they just write Corbin in the English. And in the other place they write the word treasury in the English. For the same word that is actually a Hebrew word that we see appearing in the Greek text of the New Testament. But it's really not a difficult word to understand. And we're going to look at a number of other words as we go through chapter 7 and 8 and 9. 
that keep popping up. I mean, there's one word in particular. We'll mention it here. Uh, hardened. You know, the the Pharaoh's heart is hardened. And uh, we see that English word hardened there. But there's actually two different Greek words that are translated into this word hardened. One is chesak, which is actually, I'll just give you the Hebrew letters, chet, zian, kuf. And the other one is kabed, which is kaf, biet, delet. And of course, now they'll add extra letters to these words, or especially Moses will do that in order to add extra significant and meaning to the words. And we may get time to look at that. I'm actually still going through a lot of this stuff because of what I mentioned in previous shows, which is that Moses was lacing into the text all sorts of other things, numerical arrangements of the words where you have 50 words between a particular quote. We have the quote again and another 50 words after that. He's actually doing the same thing with the letter count. And uh, there are, it just seems like he's got all these different layers whenever he's talking, whenever he is writing. He is imparting all kinds of different layers of information to the listener or the reader. And uh, this is probably why he's slow of speech, is because he's thinking about all these different things (laughs) in his head. And uh, just an amazing intellect. But it isn't the intellect that gave Moses the guidance that he was going to need. And it's very clear because Moses is constantly writing, as we mentioned earlier, is that that he's saying, what you told me to do isn't working out the way I thought it was going to work out. (laughs) And so he goes back to the Lord and he's he's saying, well, this this is what happened, uh, and this is what happened, and this is what I did, and this is what I had. And then God gives him more instructions. And uh, while at the same time I'm going through this and preparing these studies, I'm also listening to the Jordan Peterson podcast, which has, uh, I, I guess it's not just a podcast, but it's just like a seminar on Exodus, where he has a number of scholars and and uh, students of the Bible together, and they're discussing the text of Exodus. And uh, I've only gotten into his uh, episode 5, and I haven't even finished that because I'm constantly, you know, they'll say something and I'll say, oh my gosh, they they don't know that. <laughs> or sometimes they say stuff and I thought like, oh yeah, I remember that. Or, or, yeah, I didn't quite notice that because like I said, there are so many layers to what Moses is sharing with us. I don't know that any of us have the intellect to grasp all the different layers that Moses is sharing in his text. But we don't need to. Ultimately, what Moses is trying to do is draw us near the Holy Spirit. Uh, Draw not only the whole nation of Israel near the Holy Spirit, the the tree of life, the, the source of revelation, But he is actually trying to help the Egyptians at the same time. Uh, When it says, let my people go, he's not just talking about Israelites, 
But we know that Egyptians actually leave with the Israelites because it's those, again, going back to Abraham and going back to the New Testament, referring to Abraham, it's not a bloodline that God is trying to set free. He's trying to set the whole world free. He's using a bloodline and then he's using those who follow in the ways of Abraham And we know in the New Testament that the ways of Abraham are the ways of faith. It's those who will draw near to God, to the Holy Spirit, to the tree of life. That will be the people who walk in faith. Uh, There is this Israelite nation, which Israel is the place where God prevails. And if God does not prevail in your heart, then you're not a part of that nation. If you're not living by faith, you're not a part of that nation. I don't care what your bloodline is. You're actually the synagogue of Satan. You're, you're the workers of iniquity. You're, you're a part of the Antichrist. You're against Moses. Because Moses and Jesus were in agreement. Now, this has nothing to do, you know, with people who talk about, well, are, are, is this, am I being anti-Semitic? Which I, I think that, term itself is just a bizarre term anti-Semitic which reduces it down to some sort of race or nationality or anti-Jew or anti-Israel these terms that we have like Israel today if we say the word Israel they're referring to this government nation this this constructed uh, contractual corporation over there that was created to be this government of Israel and but most of the time when they're talking in the Bible and they say Israel they're just talking about the place where God prevails and of course wherever Abraham or men of faith walk in the way of God that is Israel it's not a geographical location it's not a bloodline It's a spiritual thing because if you don't have the spirit, then you're not a part of Israel. You have to have the spirit of Israel, the spirit of God in your heart and in your mind to be Israel. To be the Israel of the Bible, the Israel that Moses is trying to lead people to. Which actually is the same Israel that Abraham was trying to lead people to with his altars of clay and stone. And basically, what Israel it must be to be the real Israel, not the UN protectorate nation over there, which that nation over there may have elements of this spirit in it. There may be people in that nation, in that, you know, that have that card, you know, the ID, the passport of that nation. There may be people in that nation who are walking in faith who are moving in that direction of walking in faith. And and God may may have them in that government. He may have them in that citizenry. He may have them in that inside that nation. But what makes them Israel in the sense of the biblical term Israel is if they live by faith, hope, and charity in spirit and in truth. And, of course, this brings us back to what we discussed in chapter 6 of Exodus, which I have added to the the side column of notes there at Preparing You. Every day I add something to 
to the website. Every day we correct something in the website. Every day that we we try to build more, which is one of the amazing things about Moses. Moses just wrote out the Pentateuch. Now, I don't know if there was a bunch of scratch paper on the floor <laughs> when he wrote this out, uh, but uh, uh, it's an amazing book. The, the Pentateuch, those first five books of the Bible, are full of things in them that the average reader is just going to miss. And that's okay. Because he's not trying to get you to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He's not trying to get you to a state where you're going to figure it out in your own brain. Uh, you probably don't have the brain of Moses. And you don't need the brain of Moses. All you need is the tree of life. All you need is the Holy Spirit. And as we go through uh, chapter 7 and chapter 8 and chapter 9, we're going to deal with some of these issues of how do you get back? How do you solve the problem? Probably in this afternoon's show I'm going to go over. I, I listened to a number of uh, interviews This week took lots of copious notes uh, on the subject because I see in people that were in medicine, that were in politics, uh, and, you know, I mean, part of the pharmaceutica system of medicine, uh, that they're beginning, there is an awakening taking place. I've also looked at uh, some of the uh, videos of what people are calling the awakening, and I, I have one earmarked I was going to take a look at and I'll probably look at it and maybe that will add to the richness of the show this afternoon but uh, there's a movement called itself calling itself the awakening which is actually putting people to sleep (laughs) it is actually doing the opposite of awakening us to the Holy Spirit in spirit and truth it is actually putting people to sleep and one of the ways it does this is to like awakening a part of your brain, of your intellect, uh, with emotion. Uh, you can do the same thing, and, and actually, it was actually mentioned in uh, episode five of Jordan Peterson, which they touched on uh, psilocybin, and we've added to a little bit of information on meditation, and we have a little section there on psilocybin. Is psilocybin a good thing, or is psilocybin a bad thing? Is psilocybin going to cause you problems? Or is it going to alleviate problems? Is it going to fix things? Or is it going to make them worse? And uh, the fact is, is you're in this world. And you're going to bump into all kinds of things. You're going to eat all kinds of things. You're going to hear all kinds of things. But none of that is going to get you closer to the tree of life. The only thing that is going to get you closer to the tree of life is you walking towards the tree of life. But what does that look like? I mean, which direction is that? Is that north, south, east, or west? <laughs> you have to understand, we we covered this a little bit when we were doing Genesis and Adam and Eve and our shows on the tree of life and, and the tree of knowledge, is that the angel... In the garden, with the lightsaber in the garden that we picture, is actually a beacon to lead us back 
to the tree of life. And Adam and Eve didn't want to go back to the tree of life. They were still hiding. Just like they did as soon as their eyes were open. Isn't that why people take psilocybin? To open their eyes. One of the things with psilocybin. And uh, there's, a, there's a guy who actually comes out here. Been out here a couple times. And uh, maybe he, he will be coming out again. I, I can't say for sure. We're going to have a spring festival in the first part of May. Uh, that is actually sponsored by somebody else. And it will be the White, Wa- White Rock Gathering. They're just putting together their website. Uh, White, WhiteRockGathering.com, I think it is. But uh, hopefully that will start growing and, and start uh, building up. And uh, since we are the order at White Rock, but it's not the order of White Rock that is actually sponsoring this, although it will be on the church property. And if you want to come out, uh, just keep in touch. Join the network. We'll give you more information there. And you join the network by going to PreparingYou.com or hisholychurch.org and looking, clicking on the network links and joining that. But uh, anyway, this other individual, uh, he's actually been researching the chemistry of things like psilocybin. And somebody on Jordan Peterson's program or episode 5 mentioned psilocybin. And what he, what he said was that it kind of lightens up two parts of your brain at the same time. Uh, two different elements of your uh, mental system at the same time and uh, those people you know I've dealt with a lot of people that have had uh, amphetamine addiction or uh, overdoses of uh, methamphetamines and damaged their part of their brain or uh, which is when I say part of their brain it's not really the thinking part but it's the signaling part of the brain and it interrupted the the connections in their the brain and Cause them to see things become more paranoid, more, uh, they did see more things than they saw before they did this, but they didn't have control. They lost control because the connections were cut. The wires were cut in their own brain. And that is one of the amazing things that in your brain is that you have a left brain and a right brain, but you actually have these connections to an inner part of your brain. And all these things, when you look at situations like Capgras, we have an article on Capgras, you can go look that up, uh, that if you sever those connections, it can distort your understanding. If you influence, and you can do that with chemicals, and psilocybin is a chemical, that psilocybin is really kind of a self-imposed mental lobotomy. And people say, well, it, it helped me. You know, some people say that. I, I can give you lots of people that didn't help, that it actually made things worse for. But some people claim that it helped them. Well, to tell you the truth, if if you're having an episode where you're banging your head into walls and you're scratching at your face, scratching the skin off your face, or pulling your hair out and eating it, all things that that I've seen with people that are having these psychotic episodes, these mental episodes... Well, a straitjacket can help you. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's a, a, a padded room can help you because you're not going to actually bat. You know, if I put you in a room, you know, with with hard walls, you're going to bash your brains out because you're banging your head against the wall in order to deal with some mental state that you have fallen into. 
So there's a lot of things get, that can appear to help you in the interim, but they can also create problems because they're not dealing with the issue. And we're going to talk about that, especially when we get into chapter 9. Because we're going to show you the way back and this afternoon program. Somebody actually, that was the question that came up in their interview and in their recent book, is that how do we get back? And that's what Exodus is really trying to help us do and understand. How do we get back to the garden? How do we get back to being free souls under God? How how do we get back to being what we should be all along? Because we know that we've fallen because of vanity and arrogance and selfishness and and all these things we call vices, which is actually... Falling into the darkness, falling into the pit. And so we want to get back to the light. The problem with getting back into the light or going back to the light of God and the tree of life is that we can't get back there unless we're willing to see ourselves as we really are. Unless we are willing to go into the dark places of our own mind and heart and see what's there, what has gotten into us, what has gained influence over us, which we will again address as we go go through these chapters. Because this is actually where Moses is, you know, why the plagues? Why the hardening of the heart of the Pharaoh? Why the delay? Why can't we just go out to freedom under God? Go out to the desert and be free souls under God. How come we can't just do that? Because it's not a geographical journey. Now, there was going to be a geographical transition. They were going to go from one location to another. But the real journey is within. Within our own hearts. Where we have to go and clean out. This was the metaphor that we see in the New Testament. We have to clean out our own temple. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. In order to make room for the Holy Spirit, we got to get that junk out. We got to get the garbage out. And the, the new awakening movement that everybody gets all emotional and excited and oh, we're going to overcome and all this stuff. Uh, no. No, that is actually creating more garbage. That is creating more debris. I know people don't want to see that. They don't want to think that way. They want to think, oh, but I, I, I get this exhilarated feeling and I, I, you know, it, it, it makes me feel so alive. But that's a chemical reaction caused by an emotional state. We're trying to get to a spiritual state and the emotionalism can actually block us from getting to the spiritual state. Now, we have emotion. We have an intellect. But that's not where we're going. We'll have to go there when we come back to Keys to the Kingdom. Well, welcome back to Keys to the Kingdom. Uh, Just a quick review of uh, some of the things that I added in Chapter uh, 6. They were there, but I kind of rearranged them a little bit. Uh, And then I actually added extra links to articles that I either already had or expounded upon. 
But uh, there's a word that we see there in Exodus 6 where it talks about giving. Giving you the land of Israel. Which is really giving you the place where God prevails. And that is not a geographical location. It's not about the stuff. It's about the righteousness of God. And and if you're just looking for the land, you may lose sight of the righteousness of God and do things that you shouldn't be doing that will bring you back into the bondage of Egypt. Which, again, the bondage of Egypt, you didn't have any gold and silver in your pocket. You didn't have it in your purse. You didn't you didn't have it in your personal treasury of your family. Uh, that all belonged to the Pharaoh. It belonged to the government. So you had some other means of exchange, monetary exchange, that had no intrinsic value except within the jurisdiction of that realm. That's what they're doing in Israel now. They they have iron coin. <laughs> they have uh, the equivalent of Federal Reserve notes. Uh, they don't own their land. They can be taxed on their land. They can be taxed on their labor. They have a high progressive income tax. In, in the bondage of Egypt, they only owed one-fifth of their labor to the government. But in Israel today, they owe way more than one-fifth of their labor. They can actually be drafted. Even David put off the idea of having a draft because he knew it was a sin. It was foolishness. Saul did not. Saul wanted to have a draft. Saul wanted to force the sacrifices of the people to support his army. They do that in Israel today. Samuel called that foolish, but today in Israel, they think that's great. That Well, they think that it's important. And uh, in a show that I did not too long ago, I uh, mentioned uh, Netanyahu, who became the leader there, a uh, number of years ago, he was the leader, and when he became the leader, they were having an economic crisis. They were having an economic crisis, crisis because they were going the way of Egypt. <laughs> they were going the way of Moses. They didn't know that. It's right in the text. They're all back in the bondage of Egypt. They just call it Israel. But, I mean, I'm not picking on them because the United States has done this. Australia has done this. Uh, China's gone totally communist. Uh, of course, that's how you get to become communist. I came across a book. Uh, I first saw it in 1962. It was handed to me by the author of the book <laughs> in 1962, which it says the book was published in 1962. I'm pretty sure that had to have been uh, the Thanksgiving of 1962. I'm trying to think back. It was just before I entered into the seminary. And... Uh, it was given to me by Dr. Fred Schwartz, uh, who wrote wrote the book. And the book's name was, You Can Trust a Communist to Be Communist. You know, it puts that in parentheses. And uh, so I went and looked it up because it came across my mind. I don't know what. Uh, there was something that happened and it came across my mind and I looked it up and I did find at least uh, chapter two and was reading it last night on my phone. I mean, the the number of things that I tried to get to reading, I actually was up all night. Finally had to take a nap about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> I didn't make it to the next night. Uh, but, uh, you know, I was reading it, and it, and I will, it would probably become a part of the articles and, and, and stuff like that. But he had a, a great deal of insight way back in 1962. Of course, now, uh, actually at that Thanksgiving dinner, we also had Herbert Philbrick, 
most of you probably don't even have the slightest clue of who that is, but there was a book written about him. There was a TV series about him. I think there was a movie about him, but he was like a double spy or triple agent or whatever it was, pretending to be in the Communist Party, but actually working for the FBI. When the FBI was actually kind of doing a lot of good stuff. (laughs) But that's the old days, because I can remember the old days. But Herb Philbrook was the guy who was in I Led Three Lives. He was the actual, I was actually talking not to the movie star, but to the uh, actual spy. And uh, he was at Thanksgiving dinner too. And uh, uh, But anyway, that's when I was first introduced to this idea of communism. You know, I, I wasn't very old in 1962. That's, that's a long time ago. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I mean, that was... That was the year I went into the seminary. So I'm I'm trying to think. No, it had to be in the year before I went into the seminary, knowing when Thanksgiving is. <laughs> so anyway, but uh yeah, the, a lot happened that year. That was a busy year for us. But uh, that book was hot off the presses. But that's basically where socialism leads you to. And when the government is taking care of the needy of society through a heavy progressive income tax, that is the bondage of Egypt. And that is how the bondage of Egypt got worse, where people were becoming to be dependent more and more upon the government. And what was happening is the Egyptians were, because they all went into that same bondage at the time Israel went into that bondage. A lot of people don't realize that. It's in the text. It's in the biblical text. That all of Egypt before, I mean, there was a pharaoh before the bondage of Egypt, and there was a pharaoh after the bondage of Egypt, after the famine. But before the bondage of Egypt, your labor belonged to you. There were probably some form of taxation, probably at the harbors and and maybe at some of the roads. And, and then, of course, they built these dikes and there was water supply coming from the dikes that they built, uh, which was all part of the process before the famine. And uh, it allowed them to have this, you know, grow the grain because they were big grain growers and they grew it at different times. You know, they would plant the barley first and then they would plant the wheat later. And that... That will be significant as we go through chapter 8 and 9. If you don't understand the horticulture of Egypt, you may not quite get why they're saying this. But knowing Moses, that he's not just bringing this up so that you realize that, you know, the wheat wasn't destroyed by the hailstorms because it wasn't grown up yet. The barley was destroyed. Well, barley... The wave offering all has to do with barley later on that he's talking about. The fact that he's mentioning barley versus wheat, even Jesus, the wheat and the tares, there are symbols built into the nature of these things. And again, like I say, I mean, the the depth of understanding all of what Moses was writing about and, and telling us is almost impossible for our intellect to grasp. We're just not that smart. I'm not that smart. I'm, I'm, I get glimpses of this, like, like even Moses says, you can't look at God all at once. You know, he had to look through this little cleft in the rock to see it. But you don't need to see hardly any of it. All you need to see is what you need to do today. And this is the key to liberty under God. God will be your guiding light. 
but you have to get back to God. And and as we'll explore in the next couple of chapters, there's a lot of things blocking our way to God, to that inspiration and light of God, a lot more than just Pharaoh and FDR and and Joe Biden or whoever your leader is, and you know, Parliament or Congress or or the Knesset or whatever it is. None of those things are your salvation. All of your salvation is in the light of God, which is found at the tree of life, which is the Holy Spirit, which is this spark of life at which we receive the revelation of God to know what do I do today? What do I do in this moment? What do I do in this situation? You, Life is too complicated to figure it all out in your head. And to think that you can, that your ideology is going to save you, is insanity. But so, let's go back quickly to chapter 6. And there was a word in there that is called uh, Nathan. Which is basically the the letters Nun, Tav, Nun. Which is not a double letter, even though we see the Nun, Tav, Nun. It is the actual root word. And and the Nun, it, it is a letter that means heir to the throne. You want to be heir to the throne, at least the throne of the rulership of yourself. That's when you're free. When you're heir to the throne. God gave us freedom. You want to be heir to freedom. (laughs) So anyway, that word begins with, uh, uh, the nun comes from the mem. It begins with, and the nun is the Aramaic for fish, which swims in the water. Mem is the water. And so you have this word beginning with this nun and ending with the nun. And what is in between the two nuns? The, the the two places where you are heir to the freedom under God, to the kingdom of God. Because there are places where we find a double nun, which has to do with two realms. The kingdom of God is the kingdom in spirit and truth. It's it's where miracles take place. Well, well, we call miracles. There are no such things as miracles. Everything is according to the law of nature and nature is God. Nothing steps outside of the law of nature. Nothing. Ever. When Christ was healing people, we say, oh, that's a miracle. That's outside of nature. No, that's inside of nature if you're in the kingdom of God. Because you have dominion. But anyway, we won't go down that road too far. But between those two nuns is a tov. And that is how someone decided to write the word that supposedly means to give. And they actually say it means to give on condition. There's a conditional giving. God gave us the garden. God gave us dominion. Wasn't there a condition when God gave us dominion? Absolutely. God gave us dominion and said, yeah, you have dominion, but you have to dress it and keep it. Well, just the idea that you have to keep it suggests the idea that you can lose it. If you don't dress it, you lose it. If you don't keep it, you lose it. It's There's a condition. So you have dominion on condition. So if you drop 
those conditions, you stop dressing it, stop taking care of it, and stop keeping it, then you will lose it. You will lose dominion. And you won't be free. And of course, that's exactly why they ended up in the bondage of Egypt. That's why the, all the Israelites, uh, Israelites, Israelis, let's call them Israelis, over there in the nation of Israel today, as well as all the citizens of the United States, as well as all the citizens of Australia and New Zealand and uh, England and France and Germany and China, all of them have violated the conditions of being given dominion. That's why they don't have dominion. That's why they've gone back into the bondage of Egypt. Why they have again become entangled in that yoke of bondage. So, how do we meet those conditions that will give us freedom? That's the key. Anybody who says, oh, you fill out these papers or you uh, file this and all this stuff. No, no, that is not going to get you freedom. That's probably going to get you into trouble. What's going to get you freedom is you do and you go and you walk the way Moses is going to try to teach the people how to walk, how to live. And you have to serve God. And how do you serve God? Because you can't, you know, I always remember the old joke of, you know, a rabbi and a, a, a minister and a priest were talking about how they divide the gifts that are given to them by the congregations that they serve or the synagogues that they serve. They, they receive all this money on Sabbath and Sunday. And so how do they give some of it to God? And, and so the, uh, one says that he draws a little circle in the middle of the church. And he throws the money up and some of the money falls in the circle and most of it falls out of the circle. So that he gives to God and a little bit he keeps for himself. And Paul talks about this, not the circle part, but he talks about, you know, we we have a right to eat of the altar. The Levites all had the right to eat of the altar. That's how, because they have total control over what you give them. But the Levites that you gave your contribution to, to support the government of Israel, you got to choose which one you gave it to and how much and when you gave it. He didn't kick in your door to take your tithe, but that's your tax. But you choose to give it and to whom to give it to. This is part of that casting your bread upon the waters, but you do it by giving it to, you can actually give it to straight to an individual. But if you're going to be a nation, you have to create some sort of way in which to redistribute your wealth. But you're in charge of how you do it. Because if he doesn't do a good job, you can give to somebody else. So there, you're the governor. But once you give it, you give it up completely. That's the burnt offering. And we're going to come back to that because Moses is going to get into that before we get very far. You know, that, that he actually tells the government of Pharaoh that he has to give him stuff for the burnt offering. And we see the word burnt offering, but I have a whole article so you can find out what it really means. It doesn't mean burning anything up. That, that's the way you 
operate a, a free government. If that's not the way your government operates, then you're not, you're in something less than a free government. If you have to give, if you're forced to give, if somebody comes to, somebody was just telling me last night, as a matter of fact, somebody in government was just telling me last night that they, I don't, I can't remember the figure now, but it's millions and millions and millions of dollars worth of ammunition has been given to the IRS. <laughs> Why do they need all that ammunition? I mean, are they going to war, war in the Ukraine or something? <laughs> but, uh, you know, so you know they're not Levites that they need ammunition to collect the tie. <laughs> so <laughs> you know you're not free if that's the way your government operates. But you can go to your rally. You know, your your awakening rally and think, oh, I feel like we're going to be free now because I got really emotional at my rally. Meanwhile, your priests are arming themselves to come to your house in the middle of the night and take away your tithe. <laughs> so, no, you're not in the kingdom of God. And your rally is not getting you any closer. No, you have to understand. But back to the the... The priest who throws up in the little circle and he keeps it and then the and then the minister says, I do something very similar. I draw a big circle in the middle of the church or chapel. And I throw the money up and all the money that falls inside the circle I give to God. And all the stuff that falls outside the circle I I keep for myself. And the rabbi says and I suppose this is gonna be politically incorrect, but the rabbi's but it's a joke. Come on. It's a joke. The rabbi says, I do much. I go in the middle of the synagogue. I take all the money. I throw it up into the air. And I figure whatever God wants, he can catch. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's really what the Levite can do. He has the right to do that. But the offerings were free will. If he doesn't do a good job, next week he's not getting anything. If the people are walking in the ways of God. If they're just trying to build up a big pretty synagogue and they're not actually taking care of the social welfare of their society through these offerings because that's the purpose of the Corbin then their Corbin is making the word of God to none effect I I remember an orthodox Jew a, a pharisaical orthodox Jew that's in the news today all the time I won't mention his name or maybe I will before I'm done <laughs> but anyway <laughs> uh, he said that, well, we do have to have a social safety net. He's he's very anti-socialism. He's anti-welfare state. But then, and you actually, I I, I saw him say it, actually. And uh, let's just say that he's with the Daily Wire. You can figure it out. How many Orthodox, pharisaical Jews, little bitty guy, fast talker. <laughs> but uh, he I've seen this before. I, I had a, a young kid at our table once. We took in a whole family uh, that had no place to live. And so they were eating at our table. And th- there was one of the children had overeating problems. You know, he was he was getting, uh, he wasn't borderline obese. He was getting obese. And as soon as he sat down to eat, I could see this change in his consciousness. That he, that he was actually to, if I want to put it in imagery, it was like he went down into the pit. And I could see his conscious level lowering as he reached the food. I've seen it with adults now too. 
that have overeating problems that they're actually trying to get something from that food that draws them away from a conscious state. They actually be go into a less than conscious state. I mean, they're still there and everything, but to me, I see this there's a, a drop in the level of the spirit of that individual when food is placed before them. And you can do this with lots of stuff. And certainly, that is actually what I also see during the people who go to these rallies where everybody gets all emotional about it. We're all awakening now. We're all getting together. and We're all getting excited and everything. That there's actually a drop in the level of awareness because they're going into a chemically uh, induced state of euphoria. And it's chemically induced because of the fact that your body is creating certain hormones that is causing this lowering of consciousness. That's not where you want to go. And, and, and we go there all the time. We do it all, all all kinds of time with all kinds of different ways. But we have to start seeing the truth of what we're doing. And so we're talking about Nathan, this word forgive. Nun, tav, nun. That it's faith. That is the core of this journey of the fish through the mem of life. And but that's not the even though that is that is what they say is the word that we see there in chapter six, and you can go to chapter six at preparing you and see where it is. They have a completely different word there. They have the word latet, which is Actually, uh, Lamad, Tav, Tav. And as I explain, and I'm still putting together because I'm going, coming across them every week. I come across these double letters where words normally don't have double letters in the Hebrew. And then all of a sudden they're given double letters and other letters are taken out. And, but we, if you were reading in your concordance, uh, it would say, oh, it's this word or it's that word. But it's not, it doesn't even have the same letters. But they say it's that word. And to some degree it is. But Moses, this is what Moses was doing. And Moses was setting the pattern of the language of Hebrew. He, he was laying out what Hebrew was to become in his Pentateuch. We don't have any record of Hebrew before Moses. And, and he has this codification of the letters this mastery of the letters that he's putting in there. And there's a reason why they're in there. You cannot translate Hebrew into English without doing some injustice to the original script. And you say, well, do, do I have to learn Hebrew in order to understand it? No. You have to find the Holy Spirit in order to understand it. And this Latet word is a key to that. Because the Tov Tov, Lamad Tov Tov, the double Tov means in spirit and truth. And Lamad is your hand, what you, how you work. As you walk, which is your foot, which is another, that's another whole <laughs> set of metaphors in that. But the Lamad is your hand. And what do you give with? You give with your hand, supposedly. I mean, you can actually give other ways too, but that's, that's the way you give. And so, Anyway, it's very important that we understand these different words and how they're related together in order to understand the meaning of the text. But to understand the meaning of God, all we need to do is draw near God 
And see the, in order to do that, we must see the truth about ourselves. And we have returned to the bondage of Egypt and we need to know how to get out. We'll be right back to Keys to the Kingdom. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. We're, we're going to get into, uh, chapter seven, but there, one other thing that I mentioned last week that, uh, I thought needed more expounding on, and I went back and I put it into our study on chapter six, and that, that is this reference to the children of Israel not listening to Moses due to anguish of spirit and for cruel bondage. And that's a very unique the set of words in the Hebrew language. It's a very unique way of saying it. And knowing Moses, that if he's doing that, saying things in that particular way, there's a reason for it. Because Moses does, doesn't do anything uh, <laughs> haphazardly. He is going into it very deep. And so we we have a number of these words that we see here is this... Uh, like the word translated anguish, only appears once in the Bible and is defined as impatience, which is describing the spirit of the children of Israel. So when, if we're, because we mentioned, he mentions bondage here and he mentions anguish, that we have the, somehow or other we're thinking, oh, it was because it was cruel bondage. And of course we see the word cruel there too, which we'll take a look at in a second. But anguish actually means more impatience. So it's the impatience of the children of Israel. They want it. They want it now. All children are that way. I want it. I want my way. I want it now. No. If you find yourself doing that, then you're on the wrong side of the equation. You need to get, you need to develop patience. And to see your impatience is the beginning of being able to see your patience, which is why I wrote the book Covenants of the Gods, is that it's not the answer. It's an explanation of the problem. Is the fact that you, because of greed, because of covetous practices, because of sloth, because you haven't been diligent, in the ways of God, in the requirements of having dominion, which is to dress it and keep it, which means to actually take care of your neighbor, because you have to keep him, you have to dress and keep your neighbor, you have to provide him with that social safety net of righteousness, which going back to the guy at the Daily Wire saw that we needed some sort of social safety net, even though he was anti-socialism, he was saying, yeah, the government has to do, but his synagogue should be doing that entirely. Your entire social safety net should be through your synagogue. The Pharisees weren't doing that. The Pharisees at the time of Christ had set up a system of Corbin of forced offerings. You sign up, you get an identifier, you have to pay in. And that money is to go into the Corbin, the treasury, because that's the word they translate into treasury, at least in one place in the New Testament, is Corbin, to take care of the needy. That's their social safety net. Your social, social safety net in a free society has to be by pure religion. He's actually promoting impure religion when he says the government has to have some sort of social safety net. No, 
No. Not a government of the people, for the people, and by the people. You are the social safety net. And Moses is going to teach you how to do that. The same as Abraham taught you how to do that. The same as Jesus Christ taught you how to do that. Over and over again, almost every parable is about that. About how to care for your neighbors through faith, open charity instead of force, fear, and fealty. Which is the way the modern Israel is doing it. Like I said in the show on Netanyahu, you have to go back and look for that. Most all of our shows for 2022 are on preparing you. And you can go back and probably do a word search and find his name somewhere and you'll find the show we had. But he rolled back their system of social welfare. He decreased their government of force on the people. And it it saved them. But he didn't go all the way. Christ goes all the way. Moses goes all the way. Abraham goes all the way. You you want to go all the way to the ways of righteousness. It was a step in the right direction, but he's got to go way more. And I don't know that he's actually recognized it. But anyway, in this little verse here, in verse 9 of chapter 6, he talks about this anguish, this impatient uh, impatience of the spirit and the cruel bondage. And like I said, that that word that we see only there in the whole Bible, that word that they translate, and there's other words for anguish because we see the word anguish all over the place, but it's not that word. It actually means impatient. It, the the actual Hebrew letters are uh, kuf tzedek resh, I think. But anyway, they that it, it has a little bit to do with reap. And, of course, we live in a cause-and-effect universe. If you're impatient, what's that going to cause? What's, what's, what is that going to make? The word spirit is the rosh. It's interesting that the word rosh is also, you know, it's translated spirit hundreds and hundreds of times. But it's also translated wind about 100 times, 90 times. But it's also translated Lots of different ways. And, you th- you know, when I first saw this, I thought, like, how can you translate the word spirit <laughs> as wind, breath, anger, air, courage, vain? Well, how, how do you do that? Well, it's all those additional letters that they add that will sometimes change the meaning. But then they talk about cruel bondage. And th- this word that we see for cruel is a kufshin hey, and of course there could be more letters added to it, <laughs> but uh, it it's also a word that can mean hard, difficult, severe. It can also mean stubborn or stiff-necked, and so and, and we know the Israelites were stiff-necked because of the hardness of their heart. Jesus talks about that. They were given divorce. That's not a part of God's plan. Divorce is not a part of God's plan. Uh, all divorce is some form of sin. And, but, you know, but sin is just a departure from the plan. That's all sin is, is a departure from the plan. And when you have more than one person involved, sometimes, you know, you got more than one person involved and there are other factors. So it's not so simple. It's not like a tally sheet. It's not like data points. But anyway, this idea of cruel bondage 
Well, it could also be called the obstinate bondage. I mean, even the word, uh, I have a whole study on the word bondage that is, appears here in this text, which is, uh, aboda. And I put a link in there now so you can, you can see it. But the word that we actually see there in the text is not the normal word an, bit, uh, vav, delta, hey. But it's actually vav mem an biet vav delet hey. So Moses took the time and the trouble of adding all these other letters to not completely redefine, but to focus on this bondage, the kind of bondage it is. It's this obstinate bondage. Now, why take all the time to go into explaining this obstinate bondage? Well, as we get into chapter 8 and chapter 9 and start understanding how you get to freedom under God, you have to fast from your obstinacy, fast from your impatience, fast from your anger, your judgment of others. See, that was one of the things that hardened Pharaoh's heart is Pharaoh didn't love the people. Moses thought he loved the people. Then he killed the Egyptian and then he fled the fact that he was becoming a beast by the power that he had. That's why he fled is he was becoming a beast. And we'll revisit this over and over again because we're going to walk around the elephant in the room. The elephant in the room is that the whole world has returned to the bondage of Egypt. I'm waiting for all these scholars of Jordan Peterson to finally make that connection. But they 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 get closer and closer and they're skirting around it. But I haven't seen the whole series yet. So I, I doubt they're going to come to the full conclusion. But they're hitting hitting all around the target Hitting all around the target, but they're not getting it the same as the guy from the Daily Wire. He's he's right. Socialism destroys the the society. This the system of FDR. You know, the the covetous practices of a nation destroys it. It it turns the leaders into beasts, monsters, and where they actually hate you, they despise you. And they they want to destroy you. We see that in the politics of today is that the people are being destroyed. The economy is being destroyed. But it didn't start with COVID. It didn't start with this economic crisis that is still coming upon us. We're still feeling the pains of this birth of destruction. But the answer was told to us way back thousands of years ago. And it's been sitting there right in front of us, in front of these scholars who don't quite get it, who don't quite see it. But let's take a look at chapter 7. The title here is Moses and Aaron before Pharaoh. And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made thee a god to Pharaoh, and Aaron thy brother shall be thy prophet. And, and the word, you know, I have over there in the side panel, you can go look up at the word prophet and everything. That means spokesman. He's going to be the spokesman. Remember, because Moses is slow of speech. He's not a very good spokesman. Evidently, maybe, maybe stutters. I'm projecting that. I, I'm guessing that. That's an educated guess. It may be wrong. 
doesn't really matter. But he needed a spokesman. And there's a reason why. Because that's two witnesses, by the way, <laughs> just in case you didn't notice. Two witnesses repeats over and over again. I just added to our page on congregant. Uh, or was it congregation? One of those. I just added to that. Somebody found a, something that seemed a little bit confusing. They wrote me, and I went back and revisited that and made lots of clarification, added lots of links. Because when I originally wrote some of these pages, we didn't have some of these other things explained out in whole articles. So now we, you, if you have a question about, like, you know, a congregation under the king, in, in the way that Christ said to set up the church, a congregation is not an unincorporated association by today's terminology. It's not a corporation at all. A congregation is just a free assembly. That's why we call it a free assembly. That's why it was called a free assembly way back in the Old Testament. That's what a congregation is. It's a free assembly. It has no corporate identity. And there are several things, and now I've listed them. I had them kind of there, but I made them an actual bullet point list of things you do not want to do, <laughs> pathways you do not want to go down, or you may corporatize your congregation and defeat the whole nature of God's plan. And so I'm constantly expounding upon these things. But it is so much out of the park. We've got to start simple. So now we're looking at Exodus 8 and verse 2. Thou shalt speak all that I command thee. And Aaron thy brother shall speak unto Pharaoh. And he send the children of Israel out of his land. He actually sends. He actually will drive them out. So the idea that he's asking to go out for three days, that... That's just part of the plan. We're going to have this conversation with the Pharaoh. And his heart is going to be hardened, which we see in verse 3. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. If you read that in English, you may have the idea, you may think that God is actually taking away the free will agency. And Jordan Peterson's scholars, they, they actually, some of them actually caught that. It, the, God is not taking away the free agency of Pharaoh. He's saying, you say this to the Pharaoh and his heart is going to become hardened. And we're going to look at this word hardened because there are two words that Moses uses, completely different words that Moses uses in reference to hardening the heart of the Pharaoh. Uh, actually, to some degree, there's three different words. <laughs> but we'll get, we'll get into all that, uh, later. This is actually, uh, one of them. But we'll, we'll have that discussion later on. So, but just heads up, every time you see the word harden, it's not the same way. It's not the same word. It's different letters, different word. But we translate it into harden. But you're not going to see that when reading the English translation. But again, reminding you, you don't need to see that. But I'm pointing it out to show you that there's a lot more to see. Just as the the, the bottomless pit, it's deeper than you think. <laughs> Whatever, However deep you think the bottomless pit is, it's actually deeper than you think. It can get worse. It can go farther and farther down. Same way with heaven. If we're going the other way, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, it goes a lot higher up. 
than you can imagine. It's all about, you know, all roads lead to Rome, all roads lead to the kingdom of God. The key thing is direction. What way are you going? And so I, I, when I put those bullet points in about congregations, not being an unincorporated association and things that you could do to make it appear to be, I put those bullet points in so that you see, it's like me, I have a neighbor who runs a trailer park and he was big for putting signs up. Put a sign up here for this. Oh, people are doing that. Oh, we'll put a sign up and say, don't do that. <laughs> He's got signs everywhere. They're they're very nice and neat and orderly. But I says, now all you have to do is get the people to read the signs. <laughs> <laughs> because he's got the sign there. The sign said, don't go this way. And that's what we see in the Bible. Lots of signs, but nobody is understanding what they're saying. But anyway, so, and I will harden the heart of the Pharaoh and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. But what did Jesus say about signs and wonders? He who believes by signs and wonders, oh, that's one thing. But he who believes without signs and wonders, that's more important. Well, we're going to show you lots of the signs and wonders in in, uh, Moses' writing. uh, uh, But ultimately, we're looking for the Holy Spirit. Verse 4, But Pharaoh shall not hearken unto you, that I may lay my hand upon Egypt. So he's saying... This is what the hardening of the heart of the Pharaoh, because you said these other things, he's he's going to stick, he's going to dig his heels in, and he's so that guy can do the next step and the next step. A lot of times in my life, I've I've run across things where somebody's done something that I thought like that's not fair. I was just talking to somebody about that the other day. Somebody offered to sell me some property that I thought would be a great deal, but it was. Too high a price. And then he ended, and I said, I can't pay that price. That's too much. I just don't have that kind of money. And so he ended up turning around and selling it to somebody else for way less, <laughs> way less money. And I thought, well, he didn't come back and tell me, offer me that money. <laughs> but he offered it to this stranger instead of to me, his supposed friend and sibling. <laughs> But I thought, well, I just chuck it up that God meant it to be that way. Now, I don't know what was in his heart, but I know that, uh, you know, I, I believe now and, and evidence is starting to prove that I needed to focus my attention elsewhere and not on that property. So the fact that I didn't get it caused me to look elsewhere. So everything... No matter how, and this is part of going back to that impatience of the people. You think, oh, well, this is happening, and this is ruining, and nothing's working out right, and uh, it's all their fault, and it's Biden's fault, and Trump's fault, and it's all my leader's fault. No, it's your fault because you don't know what God's plan is, and we see that Moses is going to constantly go back and say, well, we did this, and we did that, and this happened, and I thought that wasn't what we wanted, kind of thing. <laughs> At least we get the feeling that that's what he's saying. And then God says, well, no, no, this, this is the plan. All going according to plan. <laughs> but you, and, and he, he's getting Moses to trust the plan. I think Moses was already trusting the plan. That's how he got to the point where he could see the plan. But anyway, so the Pharaoh shall not hearken unto you. 
so that I can bring forth mine armies. And we see this word armies. Tzedek Biet Elef is normally the word there that we see for armies. And it is translated hosts and wars and armies and battles and all this stuff. But who are his armies? Well, if we go back to Exodus 6, I've added more to the footnotes on who are the armies. Because he lists off who, who his armies are. And he does it through those genealogies of Moses and Aaron, the, the heads of the fathers of the house. And who are they? They're the Levites. It's, it's this family of Levites. So that's his army? Isn't it the soldiers? It's the priests? Now they weren't, well to some degree they, they were already priests. Cause Aaron knew the arts of the temple. So whatever that, those obligations were, Aaron already understood that. You have to realize that Egypt wasn't, Egypt was in apostasy, but at one time Egypt was following closer to the way. And it was given this power because of the sons of, and the brothers of Joseph cast him into slavery, and so they went into slavery. The people of Egypt, as I was saying at the beginning of the show, were being made weak by this system of social safety net by government. They were becoming weaker. They weren't becoming stronger and stronger. They were becoming weaker and weaker. But the Israelites were becoming stronger and stronger. Why were they becoming stronger and the others were not? It's because there was a bigotry and prejudice towards that was growing in Egypt towards the Israelites because they were different. They were separate. They weren't originally Egyptians. And so, and we see this magnified in these other verses where Pharaoh cuts them off from straw. And, and, uh, they actually become stronger and stronger. But the armies are not the soldiers, but it's the priests of society. And then you have to understand what the priests of society are. You think the priest is your Catholic priest or your minister or your reverend down at some church. Or your rabbi at some synagogue. But if you understand that religion is how you take care of the needy of society. And pure religion is doing it unspotted by the world. I have to ask you. Why are most of your priests the men of the world? See. Your priests are the people who provide for the needy of your society. That social safety net that the guy at the Daily Wire doesn't realize is false religion. It's public religion. You're, you're going, you're praying at the altars of the government. And the gods of those governments are the ones who decide what is good and evil for you. And the more you pray at their altars, the more power they get. Which takes us back to verse 1 in this chapter, where God says he's going to make Moses a god. That's what it says. I have over there in the side notes where you can look up the word God. Go to our article. Who are the gods many that Paul talks about? It's all these guys deciding good and evil, deciding how to redistribute the wealth of society. And in a free society, the wealth is still redistributed, but it's distributed by free will choice, which we call charity. Or we also call love. Same word for charity in the New Testament is the word for charity. So if you're not taking care of the needy of your society through charity, you're probably not free. (laughs) If you want to become free, that's what you have to start to do. 
You have to start casting your bread upon the waters and taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity because that's the way it works. And so he says, bring forth my armies and my people, the children of Israel, the people who are the children of the place where God prevails in their heart and their mind out of the land of Egypt by great judgments which is really the wrath of God, which is the consequences of what they've been doing wrong for years and years and years and doing more and more wrong as this system got worse and worse. And, of course, that's exactly what's happening in America, in Australia, in Europe, and all over the world. So, verse 5, And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch forth mine hand upon Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from amongst them. So they're not going to get it right away. They're not going to get it with the plague. Some of them are going to start waking up. Some of them are start going to lose their faith in Pharaoh. We'll see that in chapter 8 and 9. But the key thing is that when they suddenly see them go, a lot of people are going to question. A lot of people are not. They're going to stay in darkness. They're going to keep... You know, like that descending into a more unconscious state of the person who was overeating all the time. The people are going to go back to the the wheels of state to get their benefits. And, of course, Egypt suffers a great deal after their departure. In verse 6, And Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded them, so did they. Now, it's interesting that he repeats that. They did as he commanded, so did they. That's very important because he's actually is back to that double tov again. He's he's repeating it. They didn't just do the the physical acts, but they were doing it in their hearts to some degree or another. So this is why he repeats it. You'll see this throughout uh, the scriptures. This repetition and verse seven. The Moses was. Four score years old and Aaron four score and three years old when they spake unto Pharaoh. And we'll get into the next part of the rod and the serpent when we come back to keys of the kingdom in a moment after a brief break. Well, welcome back. So we're in verse 8 here. And it's all, there's a strange transition that I notice that takes place in this chapter. Uh, I see, I'm seeing this more and more as I'm going through these and trying to look at all these different chapters together. And even, you know, when I originally was learning and studying this Hebrew language, this, which is such an unusual language, like we can go back to verse 1 and it says, The Lord said unto Moses. But in... In verse 8, it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses. Well, this word said and the word spake are the identical words. I mean, in the Hebrew. With the extra letters. Because there are extra letters <laughs> in those words that we see there. The uh, word that we see there as said is Vav, Yad, Elif, Mem, Resh. Which, uh, as uh, those of you who are actually studying along with us and, and starting to learn how these different words 
are, are working. There's several new letters that are added to a simple word that is, is normally, uh, Elif Mem Resh. That's, that's all you would see there is Elif Mem Resh. And, um, which means to utter or to say something. But that's not the word that we see in the actual text. They've added this Vav Elif, Vav Yad to the Elif Mem Resh. And then when you read it in English, we see that, oh, the Lord said. But down here it says, the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying. And if you go back to the verses before that, 5 and 6 and 7, he's already given them all kinds of instructions. And then they slip in this single verse. Moses was fourscore years old and Aaron was fourscore and three years old. And they spake unto Pharaoh. When they spake unto Pharaoh. So... And then all of a sudden it goes back to, and the Lord spake unto Moses. So, and it's really pretty much the same verse again. And Aaron saying, so this is part of these patterns that Moses is putting into here with words in order to get the, the, his count of words and letters to come out the way he wants them to come out. And then he's adding these extra letters into words and Nothing is done uh, without reason. And again, we don't need to know all the details. Just to know. It's like, if you're going to go out into the lake, it's very important that you know how deep it is, especially if you don't know how to swim. <laughs> so, <laughs> if you're not walking uh, in the Holy Spirit, and you get delving too much into the scriptures, you can quickly drown in the knowledge that you accumulate concerning the scriptures. But I'm constantly reminding you, I have done it at least six or seven times so far in this recording, that we're our goal is the Holy Spirit. So when Pharaoh shall speak unto you, God is saying, show a miracle for you, then thou shalt say unto Aaron, Take thy rod and cast it before Pharaoh, and it shall become a serpent. And Moses and Aaron went in unto Pharaoh, and they did so as the Lord had commanded them. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a serpent. And Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers, now the magicians of Egypt. Now, that's an interesting statement. So, the wise men and sorcerers are now the magicians of Egypt. So, they're not really the wise men and sorcerers. They're now the magicians of Egypt. They, they have changed. Something has changed. You actually... The Pharaoh that was in place at that particular time, if he is the one I believe he is, so you don't have to believe this, but he was put into power. He is not the legitimate Pharaoh of Egypt by the laws of Egypt, that the Maharats and, and the regulations of Egypt. But they put him into power because they want to manipulate him to do what they want. But now all of a sudden this Moses guy comes along and he's going to start making these guys, these 
these lobbyists and uh, uh, political machinery guys, you know, that have been put in place. You know, Supreme Court justice uh, referred to as the, the new George the Third. This vast machinery we call it the swamp now that doesn't change, no matter who is in power. And that's the magicians are the ones who are really controlling things, just as they're controlling the pharaoh. And they also did in like manner with their enchantments. And we can look at the word enchantments and all this stuff, but we want to get through these verses. For they cast down every man his rod, and they became serpents. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods, and he hardened, and we see another word for hardened here, Pharaoh's heart that he hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. So the Pharaoh said, you know, he wasn't impressed with the fact that Moses' staff rod turned into a serpent. And he evidently wasn't impressed with the fact that that serpent ate up the others. There's a place where they talk about Pharaoh sees... The staffs turn into a serpent. He sees this. The message to us is, whatever Moses is actually doing there, and he's learned this from God, because we, early on we saw God was showing, through the, the voice that was coming out of the burning bush, was showing them how to do this. To throw this staff down and it turns into a serpent. But what is interesting is that his power exceeded that of the magicians, and the magicians saw it. These guys who had got into their powerful place at that particular time in Egyptian history, because they put the puppet Pharaoh on the throne. You know, it's like if you had a president now who had no power to become president of his own. Uh, he was like a child and competent or something. And somebody else came along and put him on the throne of your presidency. And then now they're calling all the shots from behind the scenes. And you can't do anything about it because you've become so weak as a people. Even the party you think is your salvation is so weak as a party. It can't do anything about it. And this new pharaoh is running you into debt and destroying you and making war all over the place because Tutmos the the third was doing exactly that. He was waging war all over the place and running up debt and make, putting more and more burdens upon the people because he was doing that. And it, it was actually... But what was happening is the magicians were getting rich and powerful. The guy, they, this word they call magicians, which we might have time to look at, but not right now. So anyway, the Lord said unto Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened, using this other word, <laughs> that is not the word we see in verse 13. It's actually a different word. He refuses to let the people go. Get thee unto Pharaoh in the morning, is what God is saying. Lo, he goeth out unto the water, and thou shalt stand by the river's brink against he come. You know, the, the shoreline. And the rod which was turned to a serpent shall thou take in thine hand, 
and thou shalt say unto him, The Lord God of the Hebrews hath sent me unto thee, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. And behold, hitherto thou wouldst not hear. Verse 17, Thus saith the Lord, In this thou shalt know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will smite with the rod that is in mine hand upon the waters which are in the river, and they shall be turned to blood. And the fish that is in the river shall die, and the river shall stink, and the Egyptians Egyptians shall loathe to drink the water of the river. And the Lord spake unto Moses, Say unto Aaron, Take thy rod, and stretch out thine hand upon the waters of Egypt, upon their streams, upon their rivers, and upon their ponds, and upon their pools of water, that they may become blood, that that that, and that there may be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. And Moses and Aaron did so, and the Lord commanded, and he lifted up the rod and the smote the waters that were in the river, in the sight of the Pharaoh, and in the sight of his servants, and all the waters that were in the rivers were turned to blood. And the fish that was in the river died, and the river stank, and the Egyptians could not drink the water of the river, and there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt, and the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments, and Pharaoh's heart was still hardened, with this, this, the, a different word than the original hearten. Neither did he hearken unto them as the Lord had said. So verse 23, And the Pharaoh turned and went into his house. Neither did he set his heart to this also. So he's just getting more and more stubborn. He's digging his heels in more and more. But this is actually part of the plan. And the reason the Pharaoh is falling into this plan he thinks he's the Pharaoh and in charge and all this stuff. He's a puppet. But he's now becoming a puppet of God's wisdom. God's not taking away his free choice. He's just using his wisdom. I told you a story in one of the previous programs about my cousin. <laughs> so that you could actually, you know, it's, it's psychology. It's, it's mind blowing. But you have to understand that God is not there just to save the Israelites. We know this because Egyptians left with them. God wants everybody saved. Wants everybody saved. But choice remains with everybody. Even wants the Pharaoh saved. But the choice remains with the Pharaoh. So verse 24. And all the Egyptians digged around about the river for water to drink. And they could not drink of the water of the river. And seven days were fulfilled after the Lord had smitten the river. So there were at least seven days that there was almost no water to drink. I mean, you could drink it, but they loathed drinking it. It stunk. And then, of course, there's dead fish in it. So that stunk, too. And and we're going to get into, later on, we'll get into more of the idea of what exactly 
all this means later on. But one of the things I wanted to share with you, because I, I actually put it in my footnotes here because it was in one of the, the episode three, I think, of, uh, of Jordan Peterson. It might have been in episode four, but anyway, I put it down in the notes here. Is that when they're talking about this, these Egyptian plagues, one thing somebody brought up is that it corresponds with Egyptian gods. And there are lots of different Egyptian gods. Hapi, the god of the Nile, which is the river. And this is the first one. Heket, which is a goddess of fertility, which has to do with frog. I mean, she has like this frog head. And so, and that's going to be one of the others. And the god of the earth is Geb. And it has to do with lice and Kepri. Uh, which has to do with the motion of the sun, but, and this is really getting in deep, and I'm just touching on this. I don't think it's extremely important, but I think it, it, once you really get a deep grasp of all this, you start to understand. But there's, this particular god has heads surrounded by flies. And why is that? And the, all the others, but we, we don't have time to go into all that right now. What we, well, I wanted to also bring up, so the, the plagues, there's there's levels to understanding why the plagues, why in the order that they did. The, the basic idea is that people are going to realize that God is in control of nature. And if you buck the law of nature, which we've explained in our earlier shows, the law of nature, divine will, the will of God, the right reason are convertible phrases. It's all the same thing. If you go against the nature and nature's God, the way of God, bad things are going to happen. But they're happening to bring you back. You know, And but if you choose darkness, you keep running from the light, then there's a problem. But we're going to get into why you want to go to the light. One of the things I noticed in episode four, actually it was, was that the scholars that were all surrounding Jordan Peterson in his episode... It, they brought up, like, why is the word italicized in this King James Version? I, I don't know. And so they're asking all these scholars. Uh, and uh, some of them don't study the King James in depth because it was the Prager. He, but he has read it. But he didn't know. The scholars for Cambridge didn't know. Nobody seemed to know why words in the King James are italicized. And, I mean, I, I was shocked that they are so ignorant of this. I mean, this is this is like first year stuff. <laughs> and every time you read it, you should understand it. When you see an italicized word in the King James, it's it's just put in there by the translators. They have no. I mean, there are lots of words in there that aren't really in the Hebrew or in the Greek, but the italicized words they are admitting with the 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 italics that they're just putting these words in. To make it read a little more smoothly. And a lot of people wonder why I use the King James all the time. Well, there's a lot of reasons. It's consistency. But also because of the word order is often strange and different. And uh, vocabulary is different. It makes you think about the words. And words are important. But anyway, italics is, is simply a device to call attention to those words that were added by the translators in order to convey or to clarify the meaning. Now, translators are not necessarily inspired, so everybody should realize that. The other thing I want to point out before the end of the show is that the serpent in chapter 7 is not the word serpent that we see in the garden. It's a different word. 
the serpent in this chapter is uh, Nunchet Shen, which uh, has to do kind of with the idea of uh, the, uh, another word, which is Nunchet Shen also with a different number, there's a very strong number, which is often translated enchantment or practice or divination. In the New Testament, they talk about, Peter talks about covetous practices. Well, you could almost put in there covetous enchantments <laughs> or divinations. Uh, covetous practices are practices that involve covetousness. And we would go back to actually looking at these different words. Nun, like we said, is this throne, this dominion that we're supposed to all have. Chad has to do with life force or dynamic or the cause and effect, uh, which we also see in the Gimel. And then Shen has to do with this internal flame of revelation. You put the ter- eternal flame of revelation out with covetous practices. With, you know, the, the like the guy who overeats. He drops into a lower state of consciousness with these practices uh, of looking to the food for the source. Looking to the government as your source. Looking to knowledge, the tree of knowledge as your source. You want to look to that divine spark, that revelation for your source. That's very important. And what blocks you from doing that is substitutes. But anyway, I did want to point out, and we'll maybe bring this up in later studies, that there are these other words for serpent. And one of them is this one that we see here, Tav Nun Yad Nun. So it starts with the letter faith. (laughs) The serpent. And it's translated dragon more often than it's translated serpent. It's even translated whale. So what does it mean? And it can make a reference to supposedly like a venomous snake, but uh, a poison. And of course, that's what I'm saying. Covetous practices are a poison to the light. They draw you into the darkness. So what draws you into the light? Well, the Corbin of the Pharisees was making the word of God to none effect. So is there a Corbin of Christ draw you to the light? And then what is that Corbin of Christ? In relationship to the Corbin of the Pharisees. Well, we have lots of articles on Corbin. You can go do as your extracurricular study <laughs> of the, uh, of this, uh, text is to go look that. I had a link in the previous chapter to our article on Corbin because it's very important to understand why Christ is bringing up this thing Corbin, which was instituted by Moses. And the kingdom of God, I mean, Jesus even says, I'm going to take the kingdom away from you, talking to the Pharisees of that day, who believed that it was a good idea to implement the Corbin of Herod for a social safety net. If you go read our article on Herod, our article on John the Baptist, John the Baptist said, no, you can't have a social safety net based on force. You have to have a social safety net based on love, based on charity. If you have two coats and your neighbor doesn't have one, you share what you have with your neighbor. Now, for a social safety net for an entire nation, you have to be a little bit better organized. And, of course, the way they organized was the way John the Baptist was organizing at that time. 
Everybody knew that a synagogue was ten families. It wasn't a corporation. It was a free assembly of ten families. And they freely gave to their minister. They chose the minister. They gave to that minister. And he was in a network of ministers that eventually would get all the way back to the temple. And this was the social safety net of Israel for many, many, many hundreds of years. But Herod said, let's have a social safety net where you sign up and you have to give to your minister. And your minister has to give to his minister. And it eventually comes up to the temple. That's a covetous practice because it's based on force in your neighbor to contribute to what you want for your welfare. That's going to lead you back to the bondage of Egypt. That is the bondage of Egypt. But... John the Baptist was saying, no, we're going to do it through charity. Jesus was saying, we're going to do it through love. Same word, charity. Paul says we do it through charity. Because when Paul says the word, they translate it charity. When Jesus says it, they mostly translate it love. Well, this is what Moses is setting up. He's going to eventually set up the Corbin of Moses, which is the Corbin of Christ. It's not the Corbin of Herod. It's not the Corbin of Biden. It's not the Corbin of Trump. It's not the Corbin of FDR, of LBJ. Their sacrifice are forced sacrifices. And they arm their priests, which are your priests, to take care of the needy of their society because they're going to force the offerings of the people and their kingdom will not stand. If you go to the Foolishness of Saul or King Saul article on that, you see... This is what Samuel said. And he said it to the Jews. He said it to the Pharisaical Jews. He said it to all of them. (laughs) All the Jews. But yet, there you are over in Israel forcing the sacrifices of the people to fund your army. And you say, well, we have to do it this way. You have to do it that way because you have no faith. You don't really believe in God. And, And we do the same in the United States. And they do the same in Australia. Their government has not only been dismantling freedom in Australia, it's dismantled the army of Australia. <laughs> and that will that will not serve them well. But that's actually taking place in America. You know, all, all the military is forced to get a vaccination. And we just heard on this news just before this program, more and more athletes are dropping dead suddenly. But we'll talk about that on the show this afternoon. <laughs> Maybe. It depends on what the Spirit tells me to talk to you about. So anyway, we did get to chapter 7. Make do a slight review of it. We got through most of the things that I added in here. And and we'll review partly because of the, some of the words are going to be used again in the next chapters. But until then, everybody should go to Preparing You, join the network, start becoming a part of the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Until then, peace on your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www. 
www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.